All right, everyone. It is what day is it? Oh, Tuesday. <laughs> and we have another version of the MSP Initiative Live. We bring back a uh, longtime friend of the show, Mr. Brad Gross, attorney uh, extraordinaire. Is probably the best. That's way me, attorney it. extraordinaire. I accept that. There you go. There Mr. you go. Um, how are you doing today, Brad? Looks like you have good. some good weather behind you. I do. Welcome and hello from uh, sunny South Florida. I figured, you know what? It's a nice day out, not too crazy hot. So I said, let's take a nice scenic view of the uh, back in the driving range that is in Western Florida. There you go. There you so, go. Well, Flor Florida is the seems to be very popular place to be these days. Yeah, well, it, 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 it will be until it's in the middle of July and August. Then suddenly it's uh, if you're not on the beach, you really don't want to be here. So, but uh, yeah, no. we'll see. Got a couple months to go before that happens. Are we going to see you in Florida anytime soon? Or are you now locked down at home with new baby? Kind of locked down, yeah. kind of mm -hmm. locked down at home with the new baby. <laughs> I, understand. I understand. Uh, I mean, ho hopefully, hopefully things will, um, you know, hopefully towards the end of the summer, right? August, uh -huh. sometime, I'll get, I'll get a little, little unlocked. A little break. Yeah. I'm probably strong. Uh, no, nothing, no tour plan down here in South Florida anytime soon. No, that was the beginning of the year. So I, I think we're doing I was there. Uh -huh. Yeah, northeast northeast is coming up here in July, and I might be able to sneak out to one or two that are nearby, and then uh, and then ultimately the the last one will be like that kind of we call it the California Loop, right? Right. Uh, yeah, that Phoenix, uh -huh. uh, San Diego, L.A., Vegas, like that whole that whole round. Vegas. Oh well, now we may have to make a visit. We may have to <laughs> we have to do a cameo at one of those maybe vegas well i mean uh listen you know what happens in vegas stays in vegas or at yeah, least incl including all my money that i end up betting and so it all stays there also i don't end up coming home with any of it so well i mean yeah, that, that, that's vegas. the whole point isn't it that is the point exactly. no, you're, right. you're right um so so for anybody that doesn't I, I don't know how right but just for for giggles let's assume somebody watching this Never heard of Brad Gross before. Why don't you give them just a little background on yourself and then we'll get into some like current event stuff. Sure. So quick way of background for those of you who haven't met me or heard me speak before. Um, I'm a hacker that went to law school and now has a law firm that concentrates and focuses on service industry, uh, technology-based companies, um, uh, companies that have intellectual property that they either seek to exploit and commercialize or provide a service, uh, a managed service using intellectual property or technology that they then leverage to customers. Maybe they're getting it from bars, OEMs, and so on. So we represent the gambit of companies in that space. I've uh, been doing it for about 20 years now, and I would say that we have counseled well over 5,000 service providers globally, really, but our reach extends pretty much to every single state in the U.S. So that's me, and I like to talk, and I have my podcast on these uh, issues at technologybradcast.com. Not broadcast. Not Brad. broadcast and not podcast. It's technologybradcast.com because I'm very clever in that way. And um, yeah, it's free and everyone should take a listen to it and learn, learn a lot. Fantastic. So the headlines always, I mean, now more, I mean, we've been saying it for a long time, but I mean, this year has been fairly 
uh, wow factor in terms of uh, the, the general public, right? The average Joe, if you would, uh, on the street, like just paying attention to whatever news outlet that they, they, they get stuff from, you know, when, when the federal government comes out and says, um, yeah, like this whole ransomware and, and all this stuff. Um, yeah, it's not going away and it's probably going to get worse. And we're right. not exactly sure what's going, how we can help. I mean, I guess you could take that in one of two ways. I, I mentioned this to a friend of mine at another vendor in the space. He's like, we should take that message and put it on every billboard, every ad, every email box, right? Like we should, that's, that's good news for the industry. And I'm like, sure is. but is, is the government coming out saying white flag? Hey, sorry, we can't help you. I mean, that kind of opens up the inv- the door. It's the invitation, right? Well, I think that by the government doing that, they're merely stating out loud what everyone in the industry, you, me, and everyone else in the industry has known for quite some time, uh, that, that extortionists are not going anywhere. Cyber criminals are only getting better and better. And while the government actually has started recently a new task force to go after hackers, to go after um, uh, groups that that would take down and ransom uh, companies throughout the United States. They're always going to be paying, playing a bit of a catch-up game. All right, a little bit of a cat, not even a little bit. Always going to be playing catch-up game. And this goes back to when I was a prosecutor, and I actually started the unit in Miami-Dade County that goes after people like this. Um, and even back then we were playing catch up and, and it really hasn't changed because as they say, you know, attackers only have to be right once, right? But defenders, people who are defending themselves, putting up the shields, they have to be right every single time. And so you're always going to be a little bit behind the eight ball. And for that reason, for that reason MSPs have to understand and acknowledge that not only is this something that should be emphasized to their customers, but internally, as an MSP, they need to be aware of the fact that they are targets, that they are targets, they are direct vectors to their customers. And as a result, they have to take precautions as well. So sure. which which so this this statement by the government. Yeah, was in reference to the colonial pipeline attack. Right. And two interesting stories on that very topic came out this week. Story number one was that the. They, they, you know, uh, over many weeks, they said that the security hygiene of said colonial pipeline was very bad. Right. And that what all they've tracked the hack back to an employee that was let go or no longer with the company. And this dude was using the same password everywhere, right? His PayPal account, his work email, his whatever. And apparently this guy's email, you know, somebody figured, you know, we see all these massive notices, right? Hey, LinkedIn or whatever, right? This guy's password was out there. Somebody figured out he worked at this company. I guess that doesn't take much these days. You can LinkedIn or Google, whatever. They tried the password. It worked. They were in. Bad things started happening. And and there you go. We, we, We lost the pipeline for several weeks. Yeah. In that very scenario, and by the way, they're not the only ones that are vulnerable to this. I mean, you know, people are looking at Colonial saying, oh, my God, what did they do? And 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 shame on them for having uh, just simply inadequate security practices and procedures in place. But in truth, they are probably not the exception. They are probably the rule. And that's what's scary. And that's, I think, why your buddy 
said we should be telling everyone this, right? We should be posting this because that is not the exception. What happened? That's uh-huh. definitely the rule. A hundred percent. So my, my question is, and, and look again, we're, this is speculation, but it's, it's good speculation because like, and I'm sure you're going to say, what's your agreement say, but in this case, right? Like if you're an MSP managing this, a customer, you're an IT professional managing this customer, sure. and then they turn around and point the finger at you saying, well, why is this person's account still active? And uh-huh. your response is, wait a minute, we give you access to go do this. You you know, I don't know every time you hire and fire, unless that's part of our protocol with you, right. we gave you the tools to go in and do this. You didn't do this. Like, don't look at me. And then they're like, well, that's not how we see it. And now all of a sudden we're in a bind. For sure. For sure. There's definitely going to be finger pointing, at least initially, uh, uh, to protect one's job, right. To protect one's position, to avoid embarrassment and so on. Uh, whether that can be sustained over the long term, meaning can they point to the service provider? Or does the service provider have uh, did the service provider implement the steps which we can talk about to make sure that they are covered? Um, you know, once it's once that's revealed, obviously it goes back to the to the company and whether they were willing to implement the the protocols that were recommended to them, right? right. That are just like, recommended to like, them. Like and something as simple as a password rotation, of or course. Even- or, or what everybody should have in this in place at this point, which is some sort of two-factor, multi-factor. Of course. I am shocked at how many MSPs come to, to me and say, listen, I have this customer. They don't want 2FA. They don't want MFA. Why? Too much of a pain in the butt. That's the answer, really. I mean, that's not even a, a facetious question, uh, answer. It's, it's, they just consider it a pain. And so they figured that they don't need it or they're not going to be targeted and so on. And then, of course, when something happens, you know, they're going to point the finger at the MSP. For sure, it happens all the time. And then the question is, is the MSP covered or not? Right. Whose liability is it? And now we're in that now what scenario that we always talk about, these situational realities. And you say, this is reality. Reality is we're being blamed for something we didn't do. Now what? So... Here's a here's an interesting angle in this. So let's say, let's say Colonial did have an MSP. Let's say this exact situation happened, right? Hey, mm-hmm. this guy left. Nobody shut him off. Finger right. pointing. What happens if the customer, which could be a Colonial in this case, goes directly to your insurance carrier and files a claim for five point five million dollars? Yeah, that's an issue, right? And then your insurance starts going up, and all sorts of bad things happen because then the insurance company requires the MSP to participate in that, and they want to see all the documents and the records. And now the MSP turns around and thinks, "Did we do something wrong? Right? Did we? I mean, what what's going on?" And that process in and of itself is so cumbersome, so tedious, uh, so mentally draining that it can really drive an MSP's business right into the ground because it's so distracting. It's so cumbersome. So, you you know, again, I know you you said sort of tongue in cheek, you you knew I was going to say what's in your agreement. But the truth is, is that what we're talking about here with regard to um, cybersecurity is a situational reality. It is one of dozens of, of realities that are faced by service providers in this industry, unique to this industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, think of all the service providers, think of law firms and medical uh, 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 service providers and so forth. Any service provider, what other service provider has to worry about security the way MSPs do? What other, what other service provider has to worry about clients that don't listen to them and as a result have weaknesses and deficiencies in security and privacy and confidentiality? What other 
What other industry does that occur? Answer, only this one. So this yeah. type of issue is something that needs to be addressed. But isn't the, but I'm going to put an argument out there. I think it's a, re, a real one. Mm-hmm. If the government with what seemingly is unlimited resources can't right. protect themselves, how is anyone else supposed to be, well, how, how are you to be reasonably expected to be 100%, 100% of the time? I don't think that's real realistic. So what you're pointing out is exactly correct, right? If the government can't do it with almost unlimited resources, how can an MSP? So then the second question to that, the follow-up question is going to be, that being the case, right? Why, and I guess if an MSP was sitting in front of me or watching me right now, I'd look at them and say, why doesn't your agreement say that? Mm. Why don't you make that clear? Why, if the government is willing to say nothing is 100% safe, why are you willing to take the risk that your customer believes they're 100% safe because they've pulled you in, because they're using your solution? And, and then one more question is when something happens, and it will happen, whether it's a major issue or a minor issue, something is going to happen. Now, you know, how are you going to answer the now what question? Mm-hmm. If you don't answer the now what question through your documents, then your documents stink. So, 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 uh, you know, Dave Sobel is a friendly name in the industry. Mm-hmm. I think many people have run into him. He has a great podcast as well. Um, uh, MSP radio, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a one recently where he said, why is, why is the vendor always trying to push the risk on the partner, the MSP rather than, than taking it themselves? I guess that the answer is because they can, <laughs> but well, uh, yeah, like, know, they, yeah. If Go you're ahead. Microsoft, right, and in your agreement it says, "Hey, the 365 account that you're using can be made to be secure, but it's up to you to do that. And if you don't, don't call us; it's on you." I mean, that kind of seems to be the general position of almost every vendor out there. Yeah, well, it is the you know you're right. We're going to begin with the foundational premise that George is always right. There you go, and you're right in that the vendor is is pushing off liability because it can. Okay, that's true. But you know what? There's a deeper issue here and there's a better reason. And the reason is this. Vendors have recognized that they're not insurance companies. Okay, they're not insurance companies. And that there is there always has to be some nexus, some connection between the value of what they're offering and you know what it is to them, how much they're making, right? And the risk that they're willing to take on. And even if we look at the insurance industry, we see that this is the way it is. If you have car insurance for a million dollars and you're paying 500 bucks a month for that, well, that means that the insurance company has figured out, given the risks and so forth, that for 500 bucks, they'll pay out a million bucks. But if you hit someone and you're sued for 10 million, you ain't getting 10 million, you're getting 1 million. And you'd say, but you're an insurance company. Why are you pushing the risk on to me? And the answer is pushing the risk on to you because there's only so much risk we're willing to take because there has to be a connection between value, right, and risk. And so, I think that so, vendors are so, doing that and MSPs have to do that as well. I was just about to say that. So if that, if that you know, crap rolls downhill, okay? If the vendor pushes it to the MSP and then the MSP try, you know, logically with put that similar language because it's being pushed onto them to the, to the end customer, what happens when the end customer pushes back saying, no, I need you to take liability or I won't take this deal? Walk away. Well, so where law and business meet, it's always not always a perfect fit, right? And at, at, there are two ways to approach it. 
The easy way is to simply say, we're not doing it, right? The easy way is just to simply say, we're not willing to take on that kind of risk. We're willing to take on the lion's share of risk, but not uncapped liability. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. one way to do it. But that's very easy for someone to say when we're sitting here and not in the position of an MSP that's trying to get its momentum going, trying to get some business inertia behind it, right? And is trying to bring in some revenue. So what's the other way to approach it? Well, two other ways to approach it. One, you can limit your liability to the insurance limits, right? Think of it that way. You can limit oh. your liability to your insurance limits, but not just to your insurance limits, to the limits that are actually paid out, to the hmm. amounts that are actually paid out. And there's a very big difference. If I have a million dollar policy and I say my liability is uh, at my insurance limits, well, what's my insurance limit? A million. Okay. So you cover a million. Well, no, I meant it's up to a million if it's paid out, but that's not what I just said, right? So you have to make sure that your contract, if you're going to go with the insurance paradigm, you need to make sure that it says we are willing to extend our liability to the amounts actually paid out by an insurance policy under an applicable claim or, mm -hmm. or some other amount six months worth of services, 12 months. Worth I, was, I was just about to say, I, I've seen many times throughout my journey where an agreement will say, uh, you cannot sue us for more than the value of the contract. And that is the usual way that people go about doing these things. And you know that's where you're going to get into negotiation because a lot of companies say, well, what if the value of the contract is only 50 grand, but you do something from a confidential security breach protocol breach uh, that runs me half a million? Where's the, where's the fairness? Where's the justice? Mm -hmm. Usually MSPs are carrying a million dollars or more liability, in which case you can say, look, if you're going to come after us because we can't put in an insurance claim, right, then we're going to limit it. But if it goes under our insurance, that's why we have insurance, we're willing to offer you, you know, unlimited up to whatever the insurance pays out. Uh, the, I guess occurrence is the word, right? Because you can right. have multiple. On an occurrence basis, exactly. So, you know, that's how you negotiate. And generally, that will bring the conversation to a, a good and amicable end. Uh, because, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the next, the follow-up question would be, all right, well, show us your policy, right? Show us what you're, what we're talking about. And assuming you have general and uh, error and omission and cyber piracy and extortion and all kinds of things, they'd say, okay, you know, that makes sense. That's why we all have insurance. And that's how you bring that to an end. But, you uh, know, I, I, in their zeal to get deals done, MSPs often will offer caps that are just extraordinary and not connected in any way to the value of the contract. That yeah. should be avoided. Yeah, I agree. They yeah. have to limit that limit as well. So Owen pops yeah. in here, who's on the chat, and he says, I think a SOC report is a great tool to manage internal and external risk. What are your thoughts? Well, stitching it back, you know, because Brad's a kind of legal guru, so trying to take mm -hmm. at it from that lens, take a look sure. at it from that lens. Um, this comes back to like, what is the, and this is a very vague word. So I like to bring a vague statement. And, and this is why I bring it up all the time. It's like, uh, yeah. what is the industry standard, right? What is the best practice? What is the right. accepted, you know, you know, situation, right? And unfortunately yeah. that can be taken apart and cut up and glued back together 80 different ways. And now all of a sudden sure. what do you think's a good way to manage it and what they say they thought should have happened don't line up and now here we're back again and in, in front of a judge somewhere 
Well, so first of all, you have to understand that there are a couple of things going on. A SOC report is a great way because it guarantees, assuming that <clears throat> you are capable of, of being, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, of, uh, of acquiring a SOC report, right? Passing the certification, getting a SOC report and so on, which is an expensive endeavor. That's not something that most MSPs will say, oh, we'll just, we'll just get somebody to do a, you know, a, a certif certify our our processes will get a soccer report so just be, so just type clear, two and we're good to go right just to be clear you're talking about like hey i'm gonna go get sock certified as an msp sock one sock. these are these Correct. are actual industry things right versus Correct. i have an outside security operation center vendor that's who's providing me a report right right and that's the situation so you know what you need to make clear when you're selling a service, and this comes from not just a business perspective, but a legal perspective as well, is there's a difference between providing a service and reselling a service, okay? And that can make all the difference when it comes to talking to your customer about how much liability you're willing to take on and you know where the risks and responsibilities uh, exist. When you are providing a security solution, 99% of the time, you are not providing a solution. You are reselling a solution. A third-party provider is providing the solution. Yeah. You are reselling it. You are, not, uh, you are not contracting. You're not a contractor. You're not a subcontractor. You are a reseller. And as such, you shouldn't be taking on the responsibility of saying, well, we're SOC compliant. And so, well, you're incurring a whole lot of cost for what? you're reselling a solution. You have nothing to do with this. So what you may want to point out to your customers is that the solution provider that you're using, you know, pick it, uh, throwing out names, not endorsing anybody, just a, a ConnectWest Continuum, Kaseya, StorageCraft, whatever, Ninja, any of whoever's provided Barracuda or Cronus, name your, name your solution, right? They have certifications, they are compliant, and you want to make it clear to your customers that you're merely the conduit through which the sale transaction occurs. And you're there to help facilitate that service to your client. Maybe you'll be uh, troubleshooting, maybe you're providing support services, you know, level one type stuff. At the end of the day, MSPs that turn around and say, I'm going to become SOC, uh, you know, SOC certified. And so I think that they first should think about it from the terms of what's your relationship and do you even need to go there? And then make it clear to your customer through your contracts what the relationship is, who is providing the service, and where the responsibilities. I'm going to tell you right there, Brad, I, I, I've run hundreds, run across hundreds and hundreds yeah. of MSPs who are like, oh, no, if I could white label everything, I would. If Microsoft would let me white label Office 365, it would be George 365. Like, yep. if they could, they will. But then all of a sudden, from the view of the customer, they are the ultimate be all end all. And let's face it, if Amazon goes down or Microsoft goes down, those are problems way bigger than anything they can handle. Of course. And you shouldn't be taking on as a service provider, you should not be taking on responsibility for any of that. You could say that you will help should a third party service go down, you'll help facilitate a workaround if one is available right? But you are not warranting or guaranteeing that the third-party service is going to remain viable, functional, that, uh, you know, the certifications that those third parties hold are, you know, what they said. They are what they are. You know, this is it. We're reselling Amazon Web Service. You want to know what Amazon does? Go look. Here's the website where they talk about their, their certifications and their security protocols and all. We're reselling Azure. 
You wanna know what Microsoft does? Go here. But don't take that burden on yourself as a service provider. So almost it's not in the necessary. Agreement, almost in the agreement, you're doing the exact opposite of white labeling. You're like, hey, here's all the vendors that are currently involved. There may be more. We may add vendors over time, but understand yeah. that they're responsible for each of their individual solutions. We're packaging this and offering it to you. Right. You see, a white label solution is wonderful from a business perspective because it really looks like this is branded with your service and so on. But you also have to remember that when that happens, clients are going to expect that you're responsible for everything that happens with that. So it's one thing to brand it. It's another thing at the contract level to make it very clear that while these services are branded as the Bardisi services or the Brad Gross services or whatever, they're actually third-party providers that have their own terms of service, their own acceptable use policies and so forth, all of which are binding, all of which may influence our relationship. And it modifies the responsibilities and the liabilities of the parties. This is the stuff that needs to be considered when you're writing an MSA, when you're writing a statement of work, when you're entering into these kinds of arrangements. So Owen comes back and says, great point, Brad. Sock reports are way too expensive. Agree. Uh -huh. I can foresee increased need for independent report by all types of services. This gets, I mean, this is very interesting, right? Because all types of services. How, well, how often is the MSP getting audited by an independent third party? Not that often. Not often at all. The end customer, depending on their vertical may, right? Like if they're right. a financial services company or a medical practice or a, you know, and there's a, you know, a government contractor, right? I think CMMC now has some sort of actual third party that will come and audit you yes, now. It does. Before. Before it was kind of like, hey, you do it on your own. We'll take your word for it. Now there's actually somebody that will do it mm -hmm. uh, and come and actually audit you. But how often is that? And, and maybe that's going to be a requirement in the near future, right? That in order to work in these areas, you have to do it too. Right. And I'll tell you. So from, you know, was it Owen you said? Owen made that? Okay. So, Owen, I think that your idea is not as far-fetched as maybe some people think because, I think that auditing from a security and a privacy perspective is important and it's all the rage these days and so on. I have and do all the time legal audits, all the time. We come in and we do an audit of your agreements, of your statements of work, of the vendor agreements that you have, of the license agreements that are in place and so on, because all of that comes into play, right? All of it comes into play. So I think that legal audits, security audits and so on, um, yeah, I think they're very important. They're already out there. And if MSPs aren't taking advantage of that, they should, they should, it'll at the very least probably lower your insurance costs. If you point out to your company that you have, that you went through the process. Um, but I could see a future where there are audits on specialized areas, not just security related, but any other area in which service providers engaged. Sure. Yeah. So it, it, it'll be really interesting to see like, the, you know, so coming kind of going back a little bit full circle, um, you know, that you know, on this whole government coming out to the you know, United States of America, mm -hmm. federal government, a current administration said, well, hey, yeah, so, um, well, we, you know, this is going to be all over the place. We don't know if we're going to be able to help you. Right. Uh, well, you know, we'll do what we can. But then a second, you know, press conference was like, well, we'll start, we'll start taking ransomware incidents as if it was a, a terrorist act. I mean, it's 
how, what do you do every time somebody gets hit with ransomware, you get to report it to the Department of Defense? Like, how does I, that work? I think that was just a knee jerk reaction to the political and social, you know, pressures and, 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 um, emotions that are going on right now. You know, um, it's interesting. I, I teach a course on cybersecurity, corporate cybersecurity practices. What companies should be doing? I teach at a, a law school down here about what companies should be doing from a cybersecurity perspective to comply with the law. And one of the things that we talk about in that course, and I talk about all the time in, in, in webinars like this, is the intersection between security and privacy, okay? And it's funny that, that the people want both, right? They want both, but sometimes one displaces the other, right? What do I mean by that? So if I want to secure your network, okay? If I want to secure your network, I might say, George, I have to monitor your network for the next week. I need to know everything you're doing, every site you're going to, right? In incognito mode or otherwise, I need to know everything because then, right, exactly, because then I could give you the ultimate security. You'd say, well, you're invading my privacy, right? Well, I got to invade your privacy to give you security and vice versa. Sometimes by giving you so much security, right, I need to know certain things about you, which invades your privacy. The point is these things, it's sort of a yin and yang, okay? Now, how does this all relate to ransomware and so on? People aren't, first of all, thinking about in terms of the yin and yang. So they're always shocked when these ransomware things, how could this happen? How could it happen? Well, it happens because companies go through the same analysis that you go through in your own, you know, in your own personal world, which is um, how much privacy am I willing to give up for security and vice versa? Right? How much are we willing to do? When is enough enough? I guess and the, so, I guess the X factor there, Brad, is how many times did somebody read the 400 page Apple <laughs> agreement or whatever? Right. And it's like, I didn't right. even realize I was giving up my privacy, but I guess I am because right. 800 pages down, it said I was 100% right. And so, you know, these ransomware attacks are occurring because companies are sort of at the same crossroads as people are right? How much privacy, how much security are we willing to give up? When is enough enough? At what point does the cost benefit analysis weigh in favor of let's just keep doing what we're doing and not, you know, engage too heavily into, into uh, uh, solutions that might avoid this kind of thing. And so, you know, all these emotions are kind of interlinked and there's political forces and economic forces. And that's why when this kind of thing happens, government spokesman might come out and say, we should treat these like terrorists. Really? I mean, you're really going to, what are we going to go to uh, orange alert or high alert because of a ransomware? Could you, you can't treat them as terrorists. I mean, you could think of them as terrorists. That's what they are. They're, 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 they're acting like, but they're not really terrorists. They are people who are taking advantage of the yin and yang between security and privacy and looking at where the, the two touch and figuring out how to get in between them. That's where we have to aim. So we've had a bunch of responses. Let me make one point here before okay. I get into them. So the government did did get 4.4 million back from the 5.5 million ransom from. Oh, by the way, that was a Bitcoin wallet and Bitcoin. Yeah. they tracked the wallet, I think, or something uh, like that. So, right. so funny enough, right? They didn't transfer it out right away, like you would Go think. Figure. But you would have uh, thought that they that the hackers would know that could be done. But all right. 
Well, now, now all of a sudden it's uh, it's not as easy to hide your money. So if you're not paying taxes on that uh, crypto wallet there, you should probably think about that. It's another anyway, webinar. That's so another webinar. We should. You know what? We're going to book that one right after this one. So mm -hmm. Owen came back and said, context, cloud computing interdependence is growing exponentially and our and our way of life is changing. Trust is needed to get business and reduce insurance premium. Thanks, guys, for your thoughts. He's not wrong. Nope, not wrong at all. He's not wrong. You know, bottom line is, you know, if it's a necessity and you have to use that highway and you're going to have to pay a toll to do so, you got to make sure that, you know, you, you lower your, your risks as you're driving down that road. 100%. 100%. So a bunch, bunch of stuff came in here. So our, our favorite MSP initiative, um, uh, ask her questioner, uh, attendee Brent says, what does that do to cyber insurance? I think he was talking about, um, because his next question really clarifies. Like, so what you're saying is for marketing purposes, we should brand our solution, but for legal reasons, we should leave the manufacturer name on the solution. Why do we have so many contradictions to this hurdle? Okay, so why do you have so many contradictions? Because you have litigators out there and I hate them. I'm a self-loathing attorney. Uh, but to answer your questions specifically, I'm okay with you branding a service, right? Your complete silver plan, complete gold, whatever you want to call it, the ultimate, whatever it is. And you brand it and you push it out that way and so on. I'm, I'm good with that. But I think that from a legal perspective, okay, think of it like a car, like a really awesome looking car, like a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or something that you look at the outside Okay. And you say, oh my God, it's sleek looking. Look at the curves and all. It looks like it's almost one big piece of metal or, you know, whatever it's made of, uh, a carbon fiber. And it's just beautiful. Then you open up the engine and you have 10,000 parts in there, right? 10,000 different things to make that beautiful thing go. Okay. Think of your service like that. You can make it look beautiful. You can make it look pretty attractive. People will look and say, oh, he has the ultimate gold plan, security, this and that. Wonderful. I hope it looks great. I hope it's red and it looks like it flows like a Lamborghini. But at the end of the day, you need an engine, okay? Because you ain't going anywhere without that engine. The same with your agreements. You're not going anywhere unless that agreement is written properly. And just like a Lamborghini has to think about what goes into the engine, you need to think about what goes into that agreement. And I'm telling you that while I don't think that you have to identify the manufacturers specifically, I don't think you have to say, I'm giving you a whatever solution it is, because then theoretically you're locking yourself in and you, you may want to change, right? I do think that you need to point out that services are being resold, even services that are branded under a different name, are the property or the services of a different provider. I think that you need to point out that the provider themselves uh, uh, are going to be not only providing these services, but limit the, the responsibilities. And I also think that you need to point out that you have the ability to change those providers that in, in a way that may not be transparent to, the, to your client, but in a way that won't diminish their services, right? So if I'm providing you with a, a bright light and I want to switch to a different light bulb, as long as that light doesn't get diminished, 
I can switch. So it's almost the opposite of what you were suggesting, where you have to list the manufacturers. I would say, don't list the manufacturers, but put something in there that says you can change them if you want to, as long as your features, functions, and so forth aren't diminished. Um, if you went from an Office 365 to a Google Workplace, right? As long right. as all the features are in parallel, then technically you still meet the requirements. Of course, as long as they're substantially the same, no, no diminishment in, in function or features, that's great. Um, but again, I think that, you know, your question of why do we need such a complicated engine? The same reason why Lamborghini needs a complicated engine, because if you want it to go fast and run well, then you need that engine powering it. So unfortunately in my world, those engines are words. Okay. So, so Brent, follow-up question, then we'll get to yeah. Jeffrey. He says, uh, so where do you put this? Is this in the MSA or is this in the scope of work? Like where, mm. does it where do we put what? <laughs> what are we talking about? Are we putting about- um... Commentary about the fact that there's upstream vendors, you didn't manufacture these solutions, you know, you're, you're reselling some of these, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So I might be selling you an RMM solution from Kaseya, mm -hmm. okay? I might be selling you a BDR solution from Acronis. Yeah. I might be selling you a dark web monitoring solution from Nobefore. And I'm just throwing out vendors again, no endorsement, just that. Okay, my point is my vendors change, right? Yep. My vendors might change. Therefore, the specific service and the specific vendors don't, don't go in your MSA because your MSA shouldn't change. But what doesn't change? The fact that I'm providing you with a third-party service very often. That doesn't change. It might be a different company from time to time, but doesn't change. The fact that I might change that vendor from time to time, that's pretty much universal, right? The fact that there are um, uh, differing um, uh, levels of responsibility and services depending on what's being resold, that's pretty much universal too. All that stuff goes in your MSA. Anything that doesn't change, anything that is global, I may offer you a third-party solution provider. I might not identify it as a solution provider from a third party, but I'm telling you, some of these services might be. Contact us if you want information. That's MSA. That's MSA. The actual service itself goes in a statement of work or a scope of work or however, you know, whatever term you want to use. Okay. So Jeffrey Lee, I think he has... But interesting comments, maybe not questions. He says, uh -oh. he says, ransomware occurs because criminals know they're not going to be shot. You have, you should treat them like bank robbers, rob a bank, get shot. <laughs> I was, well, you're okay. Not <laughs> okay. You're, you're not, Sounds you're not, good. Uh, he also says, I don't even, yes, vendors will get acquired. That's for sure. I won't even name the vendor, but for sure, for sure. Brent says, I love this guy. Well, that there you go, Brad. A little bit of love there. I got you. He says, shouldn't be shot public stoning. Same result. So there is that. Um, well, I mean, you know, it's interesting. There is a debate, just as a quick aside, about whether retaliatory actions against hackers would be justified um, by the private point. sector and whether the government should actually hire private sector to go after um these, these, these people who are attacking government computers and so on. The idea being that the government's great and they have wonderful people and all, but even the government is limited in its size and capacity. But what if you just started deputizing, right? Some hacker groups, just start deputizing them and saying, listen, gentlemen, 
a million dollars to whoever takes this group out or whatever it is. And there's a lot of articles, I've read quite a few. Uh, it dates back to the 1800s in which the uh, American colonies would deputize private citizens to go after people that were attacking them. And the question is, why can't that be applied to today? And the answer is, I think it could. I actually think it could be. Um, and I'm not necessarily against it. You know, coming as a former prosecutor and cyber prosecutor, I could tell you that I'm not necessarily against deputizing those who you can trust um, to go after the bad people. Tim, Jeff comes back. He says, Jeffrey comes back, says, Blackwater will do the job. Hire the mob. Okay. All right. Wow, are we devolving here? Suddenly we've just taken a weird turn. And then, and then, he said, and then Brent comes and says, retaliation, like the guys that made an app that they created for a denial of service attack on spammers. Well, yeah. listen, I mean, yeah, the, you know, like any, like, it's funny, right? There's still, you know, jets and, and, you know, warcrafts and bombs and laser things that they've come out with. And like, there's still a military, but seems like the, 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 the fight has moved from in person on, on the ground or in the ocean or in the air to on the wire. On the wire, no doubt. And, and, and there's so, got to be retaliation at some point or else it's just an open door, which is where I started off with. Why say, well, it's going to happen. And it's going to get worse. And there might not be anything we can do about it. I feel like that's just a wide open. Hey, here's the front door. It's wide open. Feel free. Come on. Right. No, I agree. And, so, you know, the question is, where do MSPs stand in all of this? Right. And what should they do and how do they educate their clients? And the first and I'm going to work backwards by saying instead of how should they educate their clients? Let's take the word how out of that and just say they should educate their clients. Their clients really don't understand this. You know, you and I discussed this stuff and, you know, you read the same probably similar article that I read this morning about how we got, you know, a couple million back from the, from the hackers and so on. But, you know, the, the person running the dental office that hired the MSB, he or she didn't read that article. Not coming to their right, isn't up to date with this kind of stuff. Doesn't understand. All he or she knows is that Mrs. Jones is coming in for a root canal later. And how come I can't pull up her digitized records and so on? And where's my MSP and why is my stuff locked all of a sudden? That's their world. You see, we operate in our world and they operate in theirs. And you need that Rosetta Stone, right? You need that that middle that middleware. Okay, that middleware that sits between you and that dental office, in this case, that says, listen, you don't even know it because you're a wonderful dentist, but you're not a technology guy. Here's what's going on in the world. Bad stuff. Okay. And it's, you know, you need to address it and it might cost you a few dollars and it might, you know, be a pain in the butt that you have to use 2FA or MFA or whatever you want to, you know, implement, but there's bad stuff going on where I see the, 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 um, the deficiency, the weakness is that Rosetta Stone. MSPs are not doing a wonderful job on whole, on whole, translating that to the client. So there's a lot of mismanaged expectations. There's a lot of price shopping because they think, oh, well, you know, you want, you know, $50 a workstation, but I can get it for 42. Yeah, but they're not giving you MFA. Oh, well, that might be true, but I don't really need MFA. I'm a dentist. Really? You know? I just went through a similar thing. It's like, hey, your price looks lower, but you unbundled this, this, and this. And by the time you add it back in, it's actually more. So right. we're, we're back. We're even worse than where we started. Right? Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, who does a horrible job at it? And I think purposely the airlines, those low cost airlines, let's say, shall we say, without naming them, the ones that say, oh, you can fly from uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale to Colorado for $80. 
$80. I can't even drive from here to Jacksonville for $80, but it costs more in gas until you look. Oh, well, if you're going to bring a knapsack, that's 25 bucks. And if you want to bring a luggage, that's 50 bucks, right? Oh, and if you want a soda, that's $300 for a can of soda, whatever it is. And the point is, once you add it back in, you realize, oh, it's actually costing me 250 bucks to fly, which is pretty much what Delta charges or, you know, any other airline. So I think that that middleware, while the airlines are purposely misleading people to hopefully get them to sign up and fly with them, I don't think MSPs have the luxury of misleading. And I'm not suggesting they're purposely misleading. I think they don't have the luxury of having a mismanaged expectation. There's too much at risk. There's security. There's privacy at risk. There's business at risk. You don't. You guys don't have the luxury. Okay. You need a Rosetta Stone. That's what you need to implement. But it's also important from a marketing standpoint, right? Like you hear all the time, hey, yeah, this is misleading marketing or, you know, you you said you're bait and switch, right? You said you're giving me this and I got this, right? And, and that's when we, sure. I, listen, we've heard MSPs, um, by the way, Brent says middleware, great analogy. It is. Uh, as MSPs, we always hear the, I call them the keyboard warrior say, oh, the vendor told me this and they never delivered on their marketing message and it never fell, never met the expectation. Right pane of glass never occur well but like just as much as you can complain about your vendor your customer can surely complain about your marketing to them of course of course of course so i think that you know msps would be well advised to not only provide more information to their customers and alert them to the risk you know coming full circle to what your you said your buddy said today about we should put this government statement yeah, we should broadcast it to every, every billboard and every mailbox on every text messaging. But like, basically, yeah. this is great. He, his, his feeling was, this is great for the IT industry. We should, yeah. we should broadcast this. It sure is. And then go further to say, you know, if people are trying to question why you're offering the packages that you're offering, tell them why. You know, don't just say two-factor authentication. Allows, a, you know, a second authentication method to make sure you're safe. I mean, that's all well and good. I would combine it with a case study. I would do something because they don't get it. You know, um, I had a law professor who, who, who would say things like, uh, all right, you, um, you're driving a car, you go through a stop sign. What happened? What is that? And the young law students say, oh, that's illegal. It's a violation of the traffic code and blah, blah, blah. And he'd listen and say, yeah, so what? So what? So it's a violation. So what? You know, what does that mean? Oh, well, what it means is you could be pulled over and you're going to be held for an hour while the cop does what he does. And then you have to go to traffic court. You might have to hire a lawyer. And if it gives you points on your license, your insurance goes up, right? That's a case study. That is going to stop me from going through a red uh, a stop sign. Not if you go through a stop sign, you're violating the law. Yeah. Okay. But I was in a rush. I mean, right. Unless you got to lay it out. And I think that what MSP customers aren't receiving is a laid out version of what they're getting and why they're getting it and why it's important. And I think wow. that the more that MSPs provide case studies and situational, uh, um, situational descriptions of what's going on, the more they're going to manage expectations, the fewer problems they're going to have, fewer calls to lawyers. And by the way, they could probably charge more. You could charge more right? When you describe everything and you have somebody going, oh my God, this is horrendous. I need this. As opposed to, well, you know, it gives you better security because they, you know, it's going to send you a text message and then you can log in with 2FA. 
Right. Okay. But what if I don't have my phone? Or what if my phone is dead? Or what if... Uh, you might have bigger problems if you lost your phone that often. What's uh, that? I said you might have bigger problems if you lose your phone that often. Yeah, that's but, true you know, too. That, that right. Either, right. I guess one of those tile or Apple Air badges or whatever. Uh, let me ask you this. I had a uh, true story, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, now, I told the vendor today, I said, some, they called up, they're like, you owe us this. I was like, oh, I do. They're like, yeah, our terms of service say this. And I said, I don't care what your terms of service say. You know what's above your terms of service? The law. If <laughs> people, then your terms of service could be nothing. And that's what I'm telling you. I don't care what your terms of service say. You mm -hmm. never get, you never delivered the service. I don't right. owe you the money. It's just right. that. How true, how true is that? How true? Well, I don't know your exact scenario. I didn't get the call from George saying, Brad, I got a problem. Um, right, we'll talk uh, after. But now. Exactly. It's, uh, by the way, it's a, it was $100. I was like, I would pay if I owed it, but I don't. So yeah. if you go to court, let's talk about the law. You never delivered the service. I don't owe you the money. That's it. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you that. Yeah, people, you know, contracting is one thing, service is another. If a service isn't provided, then basic, I mean, you don't need to be Copernicus to know this. If 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 you have a contract, party A is going to provide a service, party B is going to provide it, party B doesn't provide it, it divests party A of the requirement to pay, meaning that's the way it goes. And then the question is one of nuances. Well, was it provided? How well was it provided? Did you raise a material breach? Did you tell us it wasn't provided? And so on. Um, but I'll tell you that from a MSP perspective, okay, um, you know, I think that what you'll find is that clients sort of reversing your situation, clients will often try to threaten MSPs with, oh, I'm going to have my lawyer call you and I'm going to sue you because you didn't yeah. do this and that. If you have the right agreement in place, okay, these are handled fairly routinely, right? Fairly routinely. If you say, for example, that if there is a material breach, you have to notify us. And mm -hmm. Right. Then they have to notify you. If they, if you say, listen, if you stop your service and without cause, you're going to end up paying the rest of that service fee for the balance of the term. And by the way, if we have to pursue you for it, we're going to get our, uh, the prevailing party gets his or her attorney's fees. Mm -hmm. These are the ways that you come back as an MSP and say, don't threaten me. You know, don't tell me right? you can't just turn around and say, well, I was unhappy in the way this service was provided. So I think I'm just canceling this three-year deal. You know, MSPs, if you have the right agreement in place, you can have some backbone. On the flip side, of course, like your situation, if they're not providing the service, well, you could have the, any contract you want. That's that, right? Well, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll battle that all day long. I, I, so it comes back to communication, but I love, you know, in, in a theoretical conversation where the guy, where somebody's trying to get out because, right. And they're just like, right. we didn't do this. And you're like, well, you never reported that. So like, when did you say I didn't do that? Oh, like last year. Well, that that's moot then. You had 30 days to report a breach of the agreement. You did it. Right. So. Assuming that your agreement says that. Because yeah. if you don't, well, then you're going to start getting into all kinds of things like statute of limitations says I have five years to report it and blah, 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 blah. And okay, now we're in it. So you don't want that. That's why, again, it's important that after you listen to webinars like this and so on, you go back to your agreements, you make sure that the things that we're talking about are discussed and addressed in your agreement, right? I, I, you know, I, I gave you advice to do something. You didn't listen to me. That's not on me. Well, what does your agreement say about that? Brent specifically said, I think we need to talk about offboarding clauses and expenses for offboarding. Yeah. Yeah. Sure do. <laughs> sure do. You know, offboarding, it relates to the end. 
right? And nobody likes to think about the end at the beginning or even in the middle, because who wants to talk about the end? But the end is something that must be addressed in your documents. And so whether it is something as simple as returning hardware or telling the client, do not remove software agents, right? We see this a lot where a client will say, all right, I don't like George anymore. I'm out of here. And, and they'll hire a new IT company that will remove the agents, but not disable them, right? Not to say, just sort of remove them, which means that billing is continuing. And sometimes the the vendor says, I can't even stop the billing. I mean, I, I don't know what to do here, right? So you need, you need to think about the end. Don't remove our software agents. Don't disable them. We have to do that. If you have equipment, it has to be returned, right? Transition services. Are they free? Are they free? Or are they not free? By the way, think about when they're going to be offered. Most times, most times, transition services are not offered in the context of, you are a wonderful person. I'm just going a different way. So, you know, let me pay you what I owe you and we're out. No, most of the time it's, I don't like you. I don't like the service that you provided. I think that you failed me and you didn't do what you said you'd do. I'm not paying you. And by the way, I want my stuff back. That's where you find yourself at the end very often. If your contract doesn't think about that situational reality, well, you're just going to face it and you're on your own and then it's going to cost you money. So yeah, it's a great point. Offboarding services, the end transition, all needs to be addressed. We can do a whole hour on that. Right, right after we do the sure. crypto, right? Because that'll be the next. That's thing. right. That's exactly uh, right. Uh, so um, while we're in like the final kind of stretch here, any other questions that you guys have? Shoot them through. We'll, we'll fast fire if we get a bunch. Uh, here's a, here's an interesting one, Brad. That that's worth that's worthwhile. So um, you know, I had an MSP tell me the other day that they're you know, they're, they're, they're under a three-year agreement. Their, um, their customer brought in a third party. Okay. And the third party's like, well, in order to do what this customer hired me to do, I need all of this access. Right. Yeah. And of course the MSP is like, well, wait a minute. I can't just give you God mode access to everything because I'm still responsible for this. And it, then, then I'm in trouble. So, you know, so he, he actually asked questions like, what should I do? I was like, you should write up you know, number one, you need to talk, you know, you need to talk with the actual customer, right? Who's in the middle of right. this and explain, Hey, here's the deal. Like I'm trying to protect both of us here. Right. I understand yeah. the third party is coming in to do a specific thing, but like, I need to make sure that I'm not on the hook or, or we all don't derail, right. Because of this project. Right. So right. like, should I have an agreement written between now the MSP and the third party, as far as what they're going to get access to, or well, really agreement between the end customer and the third party so that's the thing usually the third party the the, in, the other provider if you will is going to be not quick or not will be hesitant to enter into an agreement with you because why should we why should we i mean we're hired by customer i candidly see your point this is what they would say right i see your point vendor but i don't know you and i'm not entering into another contract and i'm not paying a lawyer to look at it so yeah. That will lead to a dead end. What you need to do is what you're describing is the co-managed situation, right? Where you're co-managing an environment or you're, in, you're, even if you're not managing it, you're engaged in the same environment where others are playing in the, in the sandbox. And what you need to do is either be able to define very clearly what you're going to do and what you're not going to do, okay? Also, you need to say what happens if something goes wrong, right? Then where do we go to, to determine what happened? 
And at that point, you should be able to say, listen, you gave us keys to the house. You gave them keys to the house. The, the cookie jar is broken. I didn't do it. They say they didn't do it. Now what? Well, the answer is you're going to have to rely on our logs. I mean, that's part of the risk that you're taking, customer, by giving them keys to the house and us keys to the house. That's the way it is, right? You're going to have to rely on our logs, our data, our records. Um, the, uh, that said, I wouldn't, I would say that the, the vendors need open communication for sure uh, to avoid mismanaged expectations. But the co-managed environment presents very unique, um, very unique situations where uh, you also have to think about who has ultimate authority. You want to do A, other vendor wants to do B, they're in tension with each other. Who makes the call? Who makes the call, especially if there's an urgent or exigent situation? You might say, look, I'll work in a, in a co-managed environment, but if something happens, you look to our logs to see if it's our fault. If something needs to be done and there is a conflict between us and vendor, we have the ultimate authority, not that vendor. I mean, these are the things you need to think about. It happens all the time. It's a, it's a creature of contract and it can be handled. And these scenarios pop up or some version of them yeah. every single day. And that's what I'm saying to you. That's why it goes back to what I was saying earlier. What industry has all these situational realities? You know, have you ever heard of an accountant's office that has different accounting firms working in the same room? No, that doesn't happen, right? But you do in the IT industry, right? You might have one vendor doing one thing, one vendor doing another in the same room on the same system. Unique situational reality. That's what you need to think about when you're dealing with your customers and translate that to them because they don't get it. They're not stupid. They just don't get it because they're thinking about, you know, accounting or dentistry or construction or pharmacy or whatever they're doing and listen let's be also fair the judges that you ultimately may find yourself in front of may be even worse on understanding what the hell you're talking about far worse far worse they just learned they just got a new ipad they're happy that they you know have figured out how to get to the settings without calling their their grandchild so yeah these are the things you need that rosetta stone for sure. 100%. Well, Je Jeffrey Lee leaves us with Mr. Gross is brilliant. I agree. Totally concur. Thank you. Uh, for, now for tell that to my kids. Somehow I have to convey that to them. They don't by, believe by, it. By the way, Brad is a uh, Brad is a very good cook. Apparently, he has his own cooking social media follow. That's if you true. I do know. Did you know that? I didn't know that you knew if that. You, if you can find it, Brad is his own little uh, chef boy. Mm -hmm. chef boy R B, not I D. Am. And you know, I don't even Brad the Rad Dad. I can that's it. I can warm up stuff and hit Chick-fil-A. That's good. Brad, Brad the Rad Dad Chef Edition on Instagram. That's there it's go. there if you find it. There you Absolutely. go. So for anyone that thinks it would be worth talking to Brad, have him take a look at your stuff, give you, you know, a consultation. Maybe he can give you some tips and tell you that you need to clean up a couple things to make sure you're okay. Where can they find you, Brad? Oh, where can they find me? Well. First, the website, which is just my name, bradleygross.com. Go to um, uh, technologybradcast.com if you want to hear the podcasts. Email brad at bradleygross.com or call us at 954-217-6225. And uh, look forward to talking to everyone. Awesome. Well, we will we'll do our best to bring Brad back occasionally because every time we do, we always get into some sort of interesting conversation, but the next one will be about crypto because that seems that's to be it. Absolutely. 
All right. Appreciate everybody for watching. Remember, one o'clock Tuesday, Thursday, Eastern time every week, mostly. And uh, stay tuned for the next round of the uh, Channel Strong Tour uh, that's coming to the Northeast, right? DC through Boston going up 95. So if you're in that Northeast corridor, like Maryland, Delaware, DC, PA, New Jersey, so on and so on and so on. Uh, keep keep an eye at mspinitiative.com on their channel strong and you'll see all the dates coming up for the next round which is at the end of july we'd love to see you in person safely of course and don't forget to throw your name into the hat under our giveaways page as well 10 prizes every month if you don't enter you can't win all right guys appreciate for watching and stay tuned for the next one Take thanks george take care